Hey, listener, it's Dalton. Um, if you're in the area, if you're a local, come out to uh, Mondo Monday, hosted by former guest host Lucas Dunn. Uh, it's a screening of cult and genre cinema that takes place at uh, the Bunker Club on 23rd Street. I'm going to be co-hosting on September the 11th. We will be screening Harmony Corinne's Trash Humpers. Uh, so come out on 9-11 at Bunker Club. Somebody's told me that there's a relevance to this date. I'm not entirely sure what that's about. Uh, but come check it out. Uh, Trash Humpers by Harmony Corinne at Mondo Monday at the Bunker Club. Dalton has unfortunately forgotten. Hey, uh, I thought we'd kick off a little uh, this this episode with a little mailbag. Oh, we have a little mail. Uh, we, we do, kind of. We've got some uh, uh, we've got some Patreon uh, comments from Taylor, uh, our, our friend Taylor, who picked the last unicorn a couple mm, weeks ago. Correct, sure. about a month ago now. I guess, yeah. I guess. Uh, a couple weeks for us time. Um, but yeah, he's uh, he's been active over on our Patreon, commenting on our shows, and so I got I got a couple of comments dating back for uh, a little bit here as he's Let, been catching up on let's stuff. Let's hear us a mailbag. All right, Taylor, what's so, what? So this is coming in. Uh, where I just had it. Um, so he was replying to our top ten actors. Mm-hmm. Um, where is his list? There it is. Uh, he said, "Great act, uh, great top actor show." Uh, his top ten, uh, starting from number one to ten. Uh, he's got Gary Oldman, Kate Blanchett, Toshihiro Mifune. Alec Guinness, Mel Blanc, uh, Ingrid Bergman. I think was Ingrid on yours. Ingrid was on mine. Mel Blanc is underrepresented. I, I think. I that's like a, the. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's good. Cool. It's an important uh, point. Uh, Audrey Hepburn, uh, Daniel Day, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Giamatti, was, who was very close to my list. Actually, he was in a short I list. Should for have me. thought about Giamatti. Harder. I like Giamatti. I, I, he just hasn't really done anything major in the last couple of weeks, but I'm excited Holdovers. about. Yeah, yeah, that's gonna be good. Uh, and then Meryl Streep. Cool. So at ten, good ten. Yeah, that's a solid. That's a tall list. What? At 10? Yeah. I stand oh, you, if you think Meryl's been disrespected? There's at least uh, nine other actors better than Meryl Streep. I mean, she wasn't on my list at all. I, <laughs> or I, mine. That's true. You guys are all wrong. So t- at least 20 actors yeah. better than Meryl Streep. That's just, <laughs> she just doesn't speak to me. I don't think she's a bad actor. That's objectively wrong. Is it? Yeah. Okay, Academy. I, well, <laughs> okay. This is the one time I side with the Academy. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, top 10 TV shows he, he, okay. he partook. Uh, so he's got Futurama at number one. Uh, that's fun. Uh, Taylor, I need to talk to you to see if you're enjoying that uh, reboot. The Hulu reboot, series. Yeah. Is it, I don't even know the continuity there. I believe it is continuing the continuity. Yeah, that's cool. Um, uh, Frasier. Cowboy okay. Bebop. Nice. Twilight Zone. Neon cool. Genesis Evangelion. Yeah. Okay. That's on brand. Uh, Planet Earth 1 and 2. Okay. Fun little pool. Record of the Lotus War. Lotus War. I don't know Not that familiar one. with that. It's another anime Taylor I, pick. I figured. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, Animaniac slash Freakazoid at number eight. Tight. Big fan of that. Yeah, love that. Uh, Lost. And okay. then Violet Evergarden. Don't know that. Probably another anime, right? Great character name, if, Very if nothing cool. else. Yeah, no. Love Bebop. Love Evangelion. Taylor, do know I'm just giving you a hard time for the sake of giving you a hard time. He's hey, not. you know, five years ago, I probably would have been giving him a hard time. You know uh, you know how I you, used to you, be. Yeah, but you would have tamed. Yeah, you would have. also hated the J- Japanese for a that's while. That's not the, true. The, the, that's <laughs> simply untrue. That's the, my grandfather. The, the, and he's the, dead. The difference is you would have meant it. I heard you Maybe chanting USA and Oppenheimer after yeah, the bomb yeah. went off. 
that's not true. <laughs> Fundamentally <laughs> not true. I'm now, now everybody knows I'm out here saying show the slides is what I'm saying about sure. Oppenheimer. You've got the receipt. You want the receipt. I want the receipts. Yeah. We did it. We did the crime. We got to do the time All on right. screen. All right. Last one uh, from Taylor uh, on The Last Unicorn. He said, enjoyed the last unicorn episode. Great. Uh, the book is by far better. I'm glad the film brought up some interesting talking points. Uh, not surprised at it being trashed. Can't wait for the next one. So Taylor again. Hey, thanks for uh, keeping us on our feet over on Patreon and talking to us because no one ever talks to us. We're lonely. I have some behind the curtain feedback from Taylor's family on our unicorn show. Oh yeah. yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So oh, he's Lord. got, he's got small daughters. Oh, um, and uh, so I, I can't remember how old the old six is the one that was harassing us the other yes, day. Yes. Yes. But uh, she, he's got one that's older and I think she might be nine. She might, I don't know. Um, she might be a little younger than that, but nonetheless, they were listening. They all love the last unicorn mm-hmm. because they're kids. And you know, the, the, the nature of the shelf for trash ranking is just to buy or not. Sure. Mm-hmm. Correct. But the word trash might indicate it's a good trash genre cast is why we picked that particular term for it. It was all your fault. But, well, no, he's Dalton's fault. Yeah. And I've never. No, I mean, the shelf for trash was his fault. Oh, oh gotcha. shelf for trash is no, my the fault. name's my fault, though, and I've yeah. never heard the end of it. But to say you're going to trash a thing might sound a little bit harsher than mm. one. And, and, and there was there was great offense amongst the girls. Okay. So we did a thing. I'm proud of us. Just, uh, I hate to be reminded that sometimes children listen to the show. Our podcast just isn't for them. We make I, podcasts for adults. I mean, anybody can listen to <laughs> yeah, it. That's it. You know, one of my nieces listens to the show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It is an adult, though. Yeah. You know, out, pretty much out of high school. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. is like working at a fucking prison, you know, cool. part time. Uh, but did own me. Uh, I can't remember exactly what I said. We were at a family gathering and people were talking about feeling adult or not adult. And I was like, I feel very old or something. And she was like, you're not old. Have you listened to your show? <laughs> Damn, Madison. Yeah. Yeah. Bullseye. Yeah. Nailed it. Yeah, absolutely bodied me. That's good time. Speaking of people getting bodied, Becky Ann Baker, huh? Oh man. Love her. Yep. She's one good. of the greats. Yep. She's great. Could have made a list. Yeah. If we mm-hmm. do a character actors list. That'd be a fun Character list. actors yeah. only. That'd be a good yeah. time. I'm going to make that note real quick. That's a good note to make. Um, but hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Honor Cast, where we gather around a table. We discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film studies course. We have begun a series of coincidences. Um, you'll have to look at the spelling to get the uh, pun there, I think. Uh, but we're looking at um, Cohen-like. Cohen-esque. Cohen-esque. Um, films with a certain Cohenosity. And uh, we're beginning with uh, A Simple Plan uh, from Sam Raimi, uh, starring uh, the great Bill Paxton. Also, his dad, John's in this one. And uh, Billy Bob Thornton, others. Uh, Very, very good time uh, for this uh, particular film. And so we're about to do that thing. I am still Dustin. I'm still Arthur. I am still Dalton. And I would have gotten away with it. (laughs) I think you would have. Well, I don't I don't I don't think you would have. I don't think so either. No, I probably. I mean, every tenth bill was marked. I probably wouldn't have. <laughs> was, I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to. Have been when I would have killed five people or however oh, the many. The circle would have been like cash. you, Alex, and Heath, right? I mean, this would probably been, this, would, this is the yeah. circle. You, Alex, and Heath. Uh-huh. No, 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 no. It's, no, 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 it's, it's got to be you. It's him and Heath and mm-hmm. Carissa. And then there was like, a, a, like Heath's, like hothead friend who you were kind of like. On thin ice, Christopher with. Fox probably, yeah, and not that we're on thin ice, but like that would be the combo. The wild card, yeah, he would be a wild card, and he's already got money, so I'd be like a little suspicious of his, who his intentions. Uh, who's damn, the Paxton? Damn, who is the Paxton? That's that, what you got to ask about your friends group. Yeah, who's the Paxton? Who's the Paxton? This says a lot about the group. 
Uh, probably me, because I've got the schemiest wife, I think. I think she's going to have lots she's of input. She's the Bridget uh, Fonda. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Big yeah. time. Yeah, okay. that, that checks out. Yeah, Becca's going to be uh, crossing the I's and dotting the T's, if you know what I mean. I, I, yeah. I, I do know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. Um, in case you're tuning into the show for the very first time, friends and neighbors, this is not an, an this is an analysis show, not a review show. I almost said it backwards. And that means we're going to spoil the film, which is... Um, I think a big deal. It's kind of a plotty movie yeah, sure. in that sense. And so, mm-hmm. uh, but we're going to avoid that for the first part of the show in case you have not tuned in at some point in your life to a simple plan as to now. And so we'll begin with a synopsis, spoiler free, thumbs up, thumbs down reviews, which simply will talk about what the movie's about. They find money, that kind of stuff. And then we'll move on to um, a little game called Expand the Syllabus, which might involve spoilers of this film or more likely spoilers. Spoilers in this film's orbit. Then from that point forward, we have kicky music to let you know that we've gotten down to business, and that's when all spoiler bets are off. So there you go, dear listener. That is the rundown. Um, Arthur, are you prepared to, to delight us with a syllabus? I am, but just a, a synopsis. Uh, this is a syllabus. I did say syllabus. I meant synopsis. It's an S-Y word. Fun fact. Uh, <laughs> this movie celebrates... Uh, as of the release of this episode, uh, this movie is re- celebrating its almost exactly 25th anniversary. Oh, it, really? It debuted at TIFF on September 11th, 1998. Wow. And this episode is dropping, uh, if you're hearing it, it is September 8th, hopefully. Wow. Otherwise, something has gone horribly wrong with the time, uh, the, the, the timeline. Damn. Who knows? I mean, so, I, well, I think we do live in the darkest timeline, so ooh, that's all possible. Um, yeah, synopsis. Uh, what is this movie about? You said it's plotty. I actually, uh, I, I, I saw the letterbox synopsis of this and I thought it was really solid. So I took it, tweaked it just a little, uh, to streamline it. Uh, and I think it covers it quite well. Um, the quiet rural lives of two brothers erupt into conflicts of greed, paranoia, and distrust when over 4 million in cash is discovered at the remote site of a down small airplane. Their simple plan to retain the money opens. A Pandora's box. That that's good. Yeah, that's a good synopsis. Yeah, yeah, I like that it covered. Now, Dalton, you've seen a simple plan. I have. I had seen a simple plan. You had not. I'm the virgin. Seen a simple. Dustin, very excited to hear your thoughts on Sam Raimi's A Simple Plan. Oh, dude, I loved it, man. Great, I, great. I, I wish Raimi had been more Raimi. Uh, I, I wish it. He was... He only like does his thing like twice. Yeah, yeah. I, I like a little chicken fox moment. Mm-hmm. It, it's sort of the 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 main one that stuck out to me. Well, I think the Becky and Baker moment is like. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's fair because um, that is pretty wild. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, for the, I just I, it's, it's so restrained, which is fine for the subject material. I I do think there's a sty- more style stylish version of this film out there somewhere mm-hmm. and that's sort of what um actually kept it down from being a five-star movie for me uh because otherwise yeah i am there for it paxton has got great pathos he's such a good guy doing all the wrong things and i like that about him I, there's there's a way in which it's really believably this is a person in circumstances acting out of character mm-hmm. and it, it, it does feel as though yes indeed this is kind of what he's doing um the pathos of billy bob thornton is incredible <sighs> throughout the film and uh, it's paced really well it, uh, all the plot twists all the sort of plans going awry that, that this movie is sort of full of that there the, the mm-hmm. simple plan becomes more and more complicated because you have to add one more layer to kind of again do your cover up to keep your four million dollars and so as each of those layers evolves and then again goes terribly askew and then there's a backup for the backup and the backup for that backup and the next backup and 
it, it very very good time. Um, I love seeing um, Bob Russell from the West Wing, uh, Vice President Bob Russell, uh, as uh, an FBI guy. Um, yeah, Gary Cole. Yeah, Gary Cole. Gary Cole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love Gary Cole. It's, it's fun seeing he has him. our reports. Mm-hmm. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a very very good time, and uh, yeah, I liked it a whole bunch, and I was enthralled and moved mm-hmm. uh, all the way through. And uh, it, it, again, it's just, it's just the perfect sort of thing that noir does, in which a a character is put in a situation where decisions have to be made. And again, this there's sort of amateur sort of level of it. It's not a pro crook, not a pro detective. Mm-hmm. Those are some of my favorite kinds of noirs. And so they don't know how to investigate or they don't know how to get away. And so uh, there is this sort of, what do we do next? And there is a certain sharpness, but also a certain just random um, fallibility of just circumstances and situations that sort of always at work there. And um, I, I love, I love that kind of noir. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of my favorite sorts yeah, of that. Uh, there's a, there's a number of other subspecies and I'll talk more about that later, but I, I really, really enjoyed that about it. So yes, um, I really, really loved a simple plan. Um, so which of you have seen it more often? Uh, I this is my second time. My second viewing as well. My first one was not that long ago. Uh, um, I just recently caught up with it a couple of years ago. I think mm-hmm. just maybe two years before they covered Mont Blanc check. I, uh, all right, so you're fresher. Arthur, you're next. Um, yeah, I man, um, I think this is, like I said, the second time I watched it, I think the cracks show just a little more. I came in real hot on it the first time I watched it because I am swept up mm-hmm. in what's unfolding. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. this thing is just unraveling and it's mouth agape what is happening here. Totally. I mean, best laid plans, right? Um, and so... I don't ever think I have a question of Sam Raimi style. It, it does distinctly not seem super Raimi. I get that part about it. Um, but I think that speaks more to the kind of reasoning of this marathon is, is to kind of think about it in terms of, you know, Raimi running with the Coens. And so I, I think that is a success. I think that, man, yeah, um, Billy Bob is just an absolute star here. Um, I mean, it's maybe his, his best a, work. Yeah. Uh, and it is a very thin line he has to walk with this character to not lean into kind of a caricature or go the way Robert Downey wants advise us not to go well because be- he is he, he sees further than other people yeah. sometimes you know There's his a, emotional intelligence is that, so high yeah, yeah. And that naivety about him he yeah. just wants to be a family man he yeah. just wants to be happy he wants to make his father proud and he's just looking for love. Yeah, yeah. He's a little uh, slow, a little you know, not yeah. not great looking guy, but a, a good guy. Yeah. yeah, I mean, with a haircut and some new clothes, he'd clean up nice, right? Sure. Um, but he's been the butt of the joke in town since he was a kid, it seems. And that's what's part of the tragedy, and like I think what's so mm-hmm. good about the performance. Not to yeah. like jump in too much, but like as as Dustin said, like he is cons- what some folks would call slow. Yeah. And yet, like in the performance, like he is like higher status than bill paxton for in a lot of scenes yep. and it's just because he is so like emotionally attuned yeah and like again like in some ways is a lot cleverer than the yeah. other people around him well, yeah and you know it's great he has that you know moment of i am observant <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah like there's this i just love it i i think he's such a great character and i think uh 
Thornton just does great work with inhibiting that character. Paxton, I think, is a little hit or miss in some moments. Yeah. Uh, there are some readings that just, I mean, they're big, what's in the box moments. Uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> I do. Uh, yeah. That, that just don't quite land like they should. Rick Be- Becca great. laughed and I couldn't defend him. And yeah, I was just I like, mean, yeah. Like, yeah, you're right. That reading's off. Yeah. Um, so there's a, he's Bill Paxton, I, you know, so you know, the, <laughs> we're going to go in. Yeah. Now, that's that guy. So I just sort of like, I just assume this is just Bill Paxton. Game doing. over, man. Game over, right? <laughs> right, right. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, but he's, he's fun. He's Bill Paxton. I miss him. You know, he is really good on screen. He's a very good lead, I think, mm. here to anchor this around. Uh, the other friend, I don't know his name. He's good, too. Uh, Brent Briscoe, I think. Yeah. yeah, he also, we lost him fairly recently. Oh, Maybe like bad. 2017, I think. Yeah, yeah, but this kind of periphery around the, the main party are, are all really solid. A good ensemble. Um, you know, this alternate kind of Mayberry-esque, like, this could never happen here, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of city uh, mm-hmm. where this is taking place. And then the Pandora's box opens, as mm-hmm. the um, synopsis uh, alludes to. And so... I think that all plays out just so well. And I think that the plan is landed so perfectly in the final act. And this movie just concludes super well, I think. And uh, I mean, the way it ties up, it's hard to kind of get into it too much. But Mm -hmm. I think that as this whole thing has spiraled, uh, it spirals to a very natural place um, for what's happened beforehand. And so I, I think there's a lot to ruminate on, a lot to think about. Um, and I mean, I think it's just a really good movie. I, I, I think that it is just a it's one that is just kind of an easy recommend to people uh, who are into like crime movies or mysteries yeah. or cops, you know, procedures totally. like it is like, have you seen a simple plan? Because it'll hook you and mm. you're just gonna be waiting to see what happens next. And I think there is something admirable about that, because on the rewatch, I was still very invested in. Where did the story go? And so, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of Sam Raimi's A Simple Plan. Dalton, take us home. Yeah, uh, this movie cooks, dude. I, from Jump Street, you just have this really fantastic, like, bleak, midwinter rural landscape that just kind of underscores everything. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, it's invested with so much, I think, just because because Raimi is from like small town Minnesota and you know this takes place in rural Minnesota it's i think there's just an investment in the material on on his part and and while he's not doing his usual bag of tricks you know he's not doing things that you would call Raimi-esque and and you know we talk you, you mentioned the Coens being a little bit more buttoned down they'll go crazy too i mean raising arizona i think of there's some like very Raimi-esque shots in that mm-hmm. film uh, it's just it's the cross pollination between those mm-hmm. two and Raimi from their like knowing each other going way back, mm-hmm. I think is so interesting. And this really does feel like, you know, obviously he works with them on Hudsucker Proxy. Mm-hmm. They do Crime Wave together. Uh, but this one, like despite their lack of involvement, does really feel a part of their it could easily stuff. be scripted yeah. by them. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's um, produced by Jim Jacks, uh, who did Raising Arizona, like kind of like. Uh, was one of the people that helped get Blood Simple popularized. Mm-hmm. Uh, it came on as a producer for Raising Arizona. Um, he's worked on a ton of stuff. Did the Brendan Fraser Mummies is like his big claim to fame. Mm-hmm. But like did Tremors, did Hard Target. Tremors. Uh, but anyway, J- Jim Jacks was always like, this is, this, Raimi's perfect for this and he's going to do it. And um, that's, that's kind of the story on that. But it really is just really special. I, I think this is a, a, a very high tier thriller. Um it is 
you mentioned the pacing, Dustin. You're so right. Every time you think the story has reached an equilibrium, something happens to upset the apple cart, and it's just another fresh hell. And you're like, oh, God, what now? Mm-hmm. What? No, God, no, no. Not a new thing. Uh, and it's just that for two hours. And it it really is an exciting film. I, I was actually, I came in a little cooler on this the first time mm-hmm. I watched. I was like three and a half, and I've come up to four. And maybe it is I'm just I'm missing some more flourishes from Raimi. Although, I, again, I, I know I kind of trailed off uh, on talking about his not using his bag of tricks. I think he does manage to bring the tension uh, really effectively without using like what we'd expect from him, uh, you know, just based on, you know, his, his work on even before, you know, obviously this is pre Spider-Man, but post quick and the dead and, and evil deads and dark man. And this is definitely not those films, uh, in style. And I, you know, I think the material lends itself to a couple of times that he kind of lets himself, cook uh in, in the the traditional style that he, he usually does but it, it really is interesting to see him button down and how he manages to kind of keep the tone hot and simmering even when he's not using sort of the classical flourishes that we expect out of him and i think that is going to be a fun thing throughout this marathon is sort of identifying what is a cohen-esque film and and what makes it so and i think in, in the case of this film it really is that element dustin highlighted the the sort of non-professional element this people out of normal folks out of their depth mm-hmm. um and how could they not be because how could you be in the situation and not try to work it to your benefit it's uh well i mean Go ahead and finish, because I have the question of what you would do. But was well, I, I think the truest illustration of the, the the film central conundrum is the scene with Bridget Fonda. You know, she's saying, "Clearly, you want some answer out of me that I'm not going to give you, but that's not me. I wouldn't want to keep the money." And then it's there, and then that changes mm-hmm. all the mathematics on what you were right. about to say. So, I, I think that's like that's is one of the scenes that for me is just like this is. This is a movie. This yeah. really is like a, a film worth being remembered and worth talking mm-hmm. about and like a high moment in his filmography. A pretty f- spectacular filmography. I know we've talked Correct. about some of we've talked about the gift on this show, which comes right after this film. And I know yeah. we're all kind of mixed on that. It's neat. But we also did Quick in the Dead. And we all are. Love I know I love I mean, that's on my top 100. You know, it's I great. love that film. I love that movie. But yeah, we, we love to talk, check in on Raimi every once in a while. And I, I think this deserves to kind of be talked about in the same breath as evil dead two and dark man. Like it, it really is cool. And, mm-hmm. and just again, him doing something different, but still very much in his wheelhouse in terms of like keeping you on the edge of your seat mm-hmm. and keeping you enthralled. Um, yeah, I think this movie's fantastic. And, uh, I don't know. There are missteps. The score for me makes some weird choices. I, I'm not a hundred percent on board with it. I can't say I noticed scoring at all watching yeah i didn't think when about i noticed it, too much. it distracted yeah. me yeah. Uh, there was moments where i was liking what it was doing but there's a couple of notes where i was like well this is kind of incongruous with what's happening on screen and i don't mm. know that it's a choice um and then I'm, I'm with you arthur i love pax and i have a great deal of admiration for him i you know there's some films that i think he's absolutely spectacular in i think this shows his limits as a central performer um and i i, f- I feel bad saying that because i i think dustin's right there he's got like a an innate earnestness that like mm-hmm. really shines through and makes him per- yeah. perfect uh, to, for the lead of this film. Mm-hmm. But he, I just, you know, he, he lacks some of the, the, the stuff that Billy Bob has, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's the way it goes. Sometimes. Yeah. He's great in wrestling with the quagmire. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. how do I, you know, do I do this? Mm-hmm. Do I not do it? like those, the moment when he's having the standoff with uh, Jacob and blue. No, 
Lou? Yeah, Lou. Yes. Um, yes. And, you know, him and Lou are having that back and forth. I mean, I think that's, you know, great. It's just some of those, like, his reactions to when things do go awry. Is, yeah, some of his language is like, kind of yeah, weird. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah. I, I agree with Dustin. I think he does play that desperate man thing mm-hmm. really well. And yeah. I think his narration is really good. Yeah. You know, I'm always mm-hmm. kind of touchy about VO, but I think his, his VO is spectacular. Well, it, it, it situates it in its noir. I think that's... Sure. You know, if you didn't already know, I mean, it, it just, mm-hmm. it firmly entrenches it in that tradition. Well, it, it, it's a really perfect bookend. It's mm-hmm. not it's not an overused device. It really is just sort of a, a prologue and epilogue to the film is sort of his thoughts on his life before the situation and his thoughts on his life after the situation. And it's not too cute. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. it's not too cute. Like it's going to say, you know, um, you know, locked me up and he's not really in prison, but he's locked up, you know, or, or, or whatever you want to do. Like, yeah. like the way in which you could, you could, you could give this sort of like clue yeah. or misdirection, red herring to it. It doesn't do any of that flashy kind of stuff with it. And I, I like that about it. Just simply, this is, my feelings and sort of my internal turmoil. Mm-hmm. And I, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about just the question of the $4 million and what one would do if one found it. You know, we talked about who our crew would be and who our Bill Paxson would be. But the real question is, do we turn it in or not? And I think my answer, and this is, I just, I was telling Crystal about this as we were watching it. I, I said, well, if nobody else was there, probably keeping it. If I have anybody with me at all, turning it in. Interesting. Yeah. Just too worried about, yeah. Yeah. Like, I trust me, but I don't trust anybody else. The way two people keep a secret is you shoot one. There you and, go. And so, just, you know. That's sure. what happened to the and last I, English teacher. And I, <laughs> well, and I'm not going to shoot anyone, so. <laughs> Again. I like to say I trust all my friends to not murder me, but $4 million is a lot of money. I mean, I. I, I people do dumb things when money is involved. Sure. I don't. I don't worry about any of my friends murdering me per se. I don't think, but I just if we're doing a thing that's that could cause trouble, that would you know. But maybe. I would one hundred percent tape you and misrepresent you. Oh uh, yeah, and yeah. then blackmail you. I, I just, I mean, if it was four million dollars that belonged to some blackmailer from some like super trust fund person, like I don't think I feel too terribly guilty about yeah. keeping that cash. Um, I think if you find four million dollars in cash ever, you don't have to feel that bad about whoever you're taking because they're yeah. always going to be bad. There's probably yeah. no good story if, on if where it's that Elon Musk from. losing four million dollars yeah. is like m- me losing a penny. No. Yeah, if it's cartel money, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm passing it out. Just I'm, I'm buying my gas with it. You know, well, I'm just, you know, this is the problem, I've got to help though. the economy. Yeah, just just put it right back into the economy. (laughs) This is the problem, though, is that's a lot of money and somebody's going to come looking for it. Right. Yeah. That is what we all, of course, learned by the end of a simple plan. And and the question is, can they, you know, I mean, in in the situation, if it was Bill, if it was Bill Paxton by himself. Yeah. And he had chased the fox into the woods all by himself. Mm -hmm. Right. And he was the only one there. And he goes home with that bag of money, tells no one, does nothing. He gets away with it. Right. Well, I don't Until think he we starts. Can, well, yeah, we can talk about it when we get into spoilers okay. because there is sort of like a key element, a key moment. Yeah. A key complication at the final moment. Like but the 11th hour. Th- that complication doesn't happen without other people because, of, well, we'll talk about it. We'll, we'll talk get, about we'll, it. We'll get there when we get there. Um, all right. I guess now it's time to move on to the next part of our show, which is not the part where we get to do that. It's the part we get to do this, which is called expanding the syllabus. And um, Arthur's going to explain what that's about. Uh, expanding the syllabus is a thought experiment in where we, the hosts, uh, we're going to assemble an academic course or module within a course based around the assigned viewing for the week and adjacent text. So from books and articles to tangentially related films and stories, whatever works to uh, supplement the material. That's correct. Do you come prepared with the syllabus, my friend? I do come uh, correct. Is that? No. Okay. Um, you do. I think for this, I, I, I think I could place this within like a screenwriting course. Uh, I, I think that, again, like I alluded to earlier, one of the big things that works about this is the ending, the way this kind mm-hmm. of wraps up. 
Um, and it really does wrap up in this, uh, you know, hey, gift of the Magi, hold my beer. Let me tell you about irony kind of way, <laughs> right? Um, which I think is a lot of fun. And so uh, I think, though, the way it's scripted, the way that it's plotted and tied together, uh, it, again, really naturally does resolve things in a way that, like, makes sense while also keeping the stakes high and the tragedy higher. Uh, and I think it's really smart in that. So I think we'd look at some finales, some kind of closing moments of films yeah, uh, where things wrap up in, in different ways. Because there's a number of really great movies that kind of fumble the endings or even, you know, great filmmakers yeah. in general, uh, novelists. Uh, Stephen King comes to mind and a yeah. lot of people sort of criticize his endings that he's, he's sort of great at setup. He's sort of great at the, 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 the tension ratcheting scenes. But then there, whatever the final confrontation is like, ah, and we're going to blow up the whole town and just didn't know what else to do. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that is, yeah, I mean, a good movie can be ruined and a, a, an okay movie can be great because of an ending. And yeah. so uh, I think I want to start with The Godfather, though, that baptism sequence uh, yeah, there, yeah, dude. Uh, which is just powerful, uh, just iconic and, and memorable. As, as, I do uh, renounce them. Yeah. And if uh, you want to come over to man. Arthur's Mojo Dojo Casa house, you can sit down <laughs> with him and he'll tell you all about why it's an important film. <laughs> That's true. Uh, I got my horses tied up in the back, baby. Um, yeah, he found out well, I wasn't yeah. about horses either. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is revenge. <laughs> oh, man. We'll, we'll Chapter one, The Godfather. Chapter two is Scarface. Um, uh, from there, we're going to take a look at The Sixth Sense, a movie that really does, I think, cook in its ending. I mean, I've seen this movie several times. And it always works. Uh, and I think that's a big testament to that writing and the scripting and even the acting. Um, we get this kind of penultimate scene, I think, that keeps the emotional stakes high as uh, Tony Collette realizes what Cole, her son, uh, is seeing. Such mm. a great which scene. Which is so great. And then, boom, we go into that final moment where the reveal happens. Mm. And, and all of that just culminates so well and kind of builds right into to the finale that it works. And again it's easy to kind of discount that movie after all the kind of memes and the jokes but it, i think it works so well um and i think it's a big testament to it uh we talk about casablanca i think one of the great endings is uh very easily could have been a you know guy gets the girl and yeah instead he gives her a bobsled yep, yep he does and she goes on to win the olympics it's impressive it really is yeah with um, the jamaicans yep damn that's what, i haven't seen that movie in a while <laughs> wow. i know my brain is swiss cheese yeah but that wow, was the I turner remember re- that that was the turner recut when they colorized oh, sure it. of course <laughs> yeah. um so yeah we talk about that we talk about thelma and louise we talk about those nice. uh those two wonderful women going off to do uh things by their uh by their hand and uh, the way they feel they should go out and so uh we talk about do the right thing nice um i think uh, and, and look at an ending that can create questions and, and philosophical ideas that are ripe for discussion and are fascinating and interesting and timeless uh fortunately and unfortunately i think and so i, I think we talk a little bit about spike lee um we could also talk about Inside Man, uh, which also has a great uh, little yeah. ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we talk about Mystic River uh, from Eastwood. Okay. I think that is one that has a similar kind it's of a blind spot for me. It's just has one of those time. big, okay. like, kind of heavy yeah. gotcha kind of endings that I think works pretty effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, I think, uh, despite everything about it, we, we talk about Chinatown uh, because sure. I do think script wise, it is incredible, and that mm-hmm. ending is phenomenal and powerful. And I mean just traumatic and dramatic and tragic and yeah Polanski it, aside, it's Chinatown it, it's, yeah. it's a great ending yeah so uh man what a movie um but yeah we just talk about landing the plane and the importance of a finale the importance of an ending and finding one that resolves kind of everything in a way that makes sense and works 
so as not to undercut your characters or undercut your audience. And so yeah. I think that's what we would be uh, taking a look at a simple plan for. Very good, very good. Dalton, do you could prepare the syllabus also? I sure do, Dustin. Uh, we're going to look at, I, I think this could probably just be a module in a class on Dustin or Arthur you've done like MacGuffin classes before and, and this could be that this could even be its own class um, but I, I think a fun way to package a simple plan would be in a discussion on like cursed treasures yeah. sort of these stories where we we find ourselves in pursuit of something or find ourselves in possession of something and it, it does nothing but bring misfortune it's a true monkey's paw like it just mm-hmm. it's as Arthur said you know give for the match I hold my beer it's just like the the thing you thought you needed is is only bringing you dramatic irony and uh, the gods are laughing at your misfortune and uh, and mentioning gods i mean you're talking about a almost very primal storytelling device yeah. i mean yeah. the pandora's box i mean adam and eve right mm-hmm. i mean it's the yeah. same idea you get what you wanted it's not what you wanted yeah. at all yeah yeah, yeah. so i would also i want to start with uh, spike as well and do to five bloods uh, about this this group of uh veterans who served in vietnam together who go back to get the the gold treasure they stashed you know almost 60 years prior uh and it goes terrible yeah um delroy lindo is so good in that dude, movie man delroy in that movie oh, he's so uh, good. great 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 performances all around in that one. Uh, Triple Frontier, another similar veterans trying to get their cut movie. Uh, This is, you know, because of the nature of the endless war, you've got a lot of folks who've been done really dirty uh, and have only one skill set. And it lends itself to really cool storytelling. Uh, You know, people without a lot of options and with a skill set that is uh, fucking people up uh, discreetly. Uh, and that's what Triple Frontier is about. It's a bunch of about a bunch of special operators who have not been able to find their footing in a civilian world mm. uh, and decide they're going to rip off a bunch of cartel money. Uh, great cast, J.C. Chandor, not a guy that's really an action director, but like brings his sort of docudrama sensibilities, his real like grounded take on the material, and brings it to a sort of an action heist film. And much like a simple plan, it's one of those films where it's just constant complications, just ever, ever something that should go so smoothly is, uh, uh, threatened at every turn by, uh, real life. And that's, that's what a lot of these stories have in, have in common is it, it has a lot of characters convincing themselves that life is going to be simple because of this new thing that they thought they wanted. This, this new achievement, this new, uh, treasure is going to simplify everything. And of course, think things do not get more simple. They only get more complicated. And that's kind of a, a, a recurrent theme throughout all these stories. Uh, of course, uh, somebody who loves these stories, uh, Danny Boyle, he did shallow grave and millions, which is both an adult and, and, you know, family take on the material. Uh, so he's got kind of two versions of the same story. Yeah. Uh, three flatmates finding a bag of money after one of their uh, roommates ODs and leaves behind the cash. And the other one, I think a kid has the money fall of an airplane. Both are, sh- are blind spots for me, but I think are kind of formative in this genre. See also uh, Treasure of the Sierra Madre, which yeah, is a blind spot for me. Of, yeah. But yeah, I know Defy Bloods is like kind of invokes it a couple of times. Yeah. A film that I've been wanting to uh, catch up with. Um, Holes, the children's book and the children's oh. film, you know, mm-hmm. kind of a, a, an unconventional take on the treasure there and an unconventional take on the curse, but kind of dealing with this idea of misfortune uh, generationally uh, and, and how these this pursuit of, of uh, the American dream can uh, lead to all kinds of uh, complications and uh, tragedies. Uh, what's uh, Arthur came up with one that I thought was a really good suggestion, the big short where the cursed treasure is the housing market yeah. failing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, just somebody getting the treasure means other people and uh, fun and 
kind of that that opens up the door to do sort of an interesting economic analysis mm-hmm. of just the current world order and, and looking at how because of the way uh, our financial systems are set up, there have to be winners and losers. And that sort of makes all treasure inherently cursed. You sort mm-hmm. of get to have a fun conversation there about about the, a simple plan and the way yeah. it presents the American dream and sort of this conversation around that idea. And I think now that we can get down to business. Oh, Dustin, you have to go. Well, I, when we get down to business, we can talk yeah. about... Can I play too? No. Of course. Well, I want to hear what you have to say. Uh, Are you sure? Well, yeah. You just, you know, you you go, you know what you just do. Just make it quick. He's so, he's so smooth. He gets to like go, hey, I'm talking about a thing that I want to keep talking about. So let's transition. And yeah, I want to do that. Let's so put the pressure put, on Put it. a pin in it. Okay, we'll come we'll back to it. We'll talk about the American dream in a little bit. But yeah, Dustin, I how think, would you teach this? Um, I think um, in terms of this film as noir uh, is, is part nice. of what I would do. And I this particular species of noir is sometimes called the rural noir, uh, of which there are a number of novels, uh, most of which I have not read. Um, uh, Red Harvest I have uh, from Dashiell Hammett, and I think that might be an applicable place to go as far as the reading assignments. And I would do this in a class. I mean, I'm putting together a film noir class in the spring. And so uh, this is a thing that's going to be happening anyway. And so this is an interesting way to have the module. And so this movie would be a great movie for the screening movie. I mean, I probably would use maybe one of the other selections as well, but you, you screen one of the movies and you have the other three or four as options. And then students can sort of use them as sort of their urtext for whatever they write for their assignments uh, for it. So simple plan, clearly uh, rural sort of not the labyrinthine San Francisco West coast or New York city kind of cityscape uh, kind of setting for this kind of noir thing. And we see this in a lot of films. I'm trying to give you some less conventional picks. The first pick I'd give is from 1950 John Dahl in gun crazy, Mm -hmm. which is kind of a Bonnie and Clyde kind of story. But these two uh, kids just obsessed with pistols and uh, shoot, guns and meets um kind of an annie oakley um carnival performer cool uh and but they are but she's um something of a femme fatale and they go on a crime spring together which is a lot of fun there um ida lapino in um i don't know that book oh uh, that's wampus wampus's book is sort of a rule noir oh, okay. i don't know if you knew that the I did not way, know way that. i see it I, I don't know a ton about the story but i know it's kind of got some sort of those noir mystery elements it takes place it takes place stuff. in norman yeah um, but yeah, I just, I knew you were looking for off the beaten path picks. That's so I figured good, I should, yeah, should, should because, shout it out because local, especially. So, uh, Stephen, uh, Wampus Reynolds, yes. uh, the book is called the way I see it way I see it. Um, I think I would definitely probably add that. I want to give Wampus all the love I can on air. Um, on Dangerous Ground is Ida Lupino movie. Um, in the film, there is a, a New York or big city. I don't know if the city's identified or not. Uh, detective who is uh, sent upstate um, to sort of cool off after he's had sort of a, a excessive use of force or some kind of you know situation go on with his life. And so he's in a small town, kind of helping investigate a mystery. And it's sort of that city to rural kind of conflict sort of story. Uh, which I think is really kind of an interesting way to play with that. It's like, this is like that, but it's a little bit different. And so I, I like the the way in which it sort of connects to this, but does something slightly different. Now, going back into the neo-noir thing, like A Simple Plan, I think the movie I would choose for this is Cronenberg's History of Violence. Mm. Uh, yeah, okay. Which is the gangster whose gangster life kind of comes back to mm. get him. Uh, it still has some of those noirish kind of tropes, and yet it kind of 
exists in a, a sphere somewhere sort of just, you know, um, adjacent to mm-hmm. that. And so I think that'd be a fun time, though, uh, to think about a, a, the same kind of conflict that we see in On Dangerous Ground, especially is kind of why I wanted to pick it, because you do see that sort of city um, interfacing with the country. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, a different way of thinking. This is time it's the criminal off in the country. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think that would be a good time as well. So I would do it in terms of rural noir. I believe, though, now, my friends, it's time to get down to the American dream and to business. Dalton, you were saying. Yeah, so we we kind of opened this film with Paxton's narration about what his dad told him the American dream was, like what 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 happiness was. And you know, for his dad, it was a good wife, you know, the respect and admiration of your friends and a good job. Mm-hmm. You know, simple things. At the feed mill. At the feed mill. And that's, you know, I think the limits of imagination right there are just presented in the opening, right? It's like these are these are the limits of what we can imagine for ourselves as sort of the American family unit as it's been conceived for the last 80, 90 years or so. Um, if I mean, yeah, if that. I mean, a lot of that's like post-depression stuff. Yeah, yeah. steady work. Depression families are like crazy and full of like weird networks and mm-hmm. i mean you guys i'm sure have like weird family networks too because of the depression i know i do uh it's just yeah people raised by folks that are like not related to them oh, and sure, that kind yeah. of stuff so like these these sort of conventional we, we've got just moonshiners and murderers but yeah sure but yeah i just i guess all that to say like the 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 modern american family unit's like a new invention or the western family unit it's, sure yeah the nuclear family and it's mm-hmm. that right there is just sort of like in the text it's like we have okay we have this limited idea of what life can be and, and then we present like oh yeah and, and just you know to be good in your community well really that's all you want for your community you don't want to like help elevate your community like so it's already like paxton's like and my life is simple i want simple pursuits i'm not even after that much yeah it's 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 his dad's imagination of what a good life would be and he's like oh i had that and i didn't even realize like how nice it was uh it was such a simple pleasure that it like passed me by and it, it took like the death of everyone around my brother, uh, my brother's friend and his wife, uh, the neighbor, old neighbor farmer down the road. Like it took me, yeah, it took deaths of like several friends and acquaintances and relatives, uh, to make me appreciate the good life that I had. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, so wild. Yeah. I don't know. Would we want to start there? Like, well, you can't steal the American dream. Well, it's, 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 right. that's, that's what Paxton says, and uh, and Lou says, well, this is even better then. Yeah. Uh, well, and know, I think Lou has a much clearer eye on how, how gains are gotten, you know? Well, it's interesting because I think the movie kind of suggests that the downfall of Paxton is that he wants so much more, right? He wants, and but by wanting more is that he wants something of the jet setting, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, you know, McMansion kind of life. Mm-hmm. And uh, so his goal is to move from his level to that level. And I think the movie kind of elevates Billy Bob Thornton's um, sort of dreams, which is to have just that, the sort of simplicity of a wife, a kid's family, mm-hmm. you know. And so the movie, I, I think it, it suggests an interrogation of American Dream, but I'm not, I'm not quite sold that it's really doing much to other than it's, it's interrogation of greed is the problem. And it seems that Billy Bob Thornton's Jacob character, he wants just enough. 
Yeah. Right. Well, he and, wants what his brother has. Right. Like, sure. That to him is living top tier, which well, is whatever's next, I guess. And well, and his his bad employment prospects like sort of have have it all framed, and that that's that uh, that have it all framed, and that 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 and means, I guess, is mm-hmm. what I'm trying to get. At. It's all about means for Jacob because of like what his situation is like. It all he's comes not gonna back get a to loan. that. He's not gonna get a job. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he just wants to restore the family farm. Yeah, yeah. And he can't get out of his hometown. And like everybody in this town only sees Jacob the one way. Uh, well, you know, the, I think the more interesting interrogation is this, though. What you want to do with that wealth is you immediately think only of self. Mm-hmm. I, I think this is where the greed of Paxton's downfall really kind of speaks to, because mm-hmm. you have four million dollars in a town like that. Talk about a place where you could have like absolutely the best school, the best library, the best healthcare, the best, you know, like you could do some. Uh, you, and he's going to cut and run. It, it, yeah. you know, Even 25 years later, 4.4 mil goes a long way. Absolutely. That big. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so rather than that, and even if he were just to remain just, again, putting the money back in the economy, mm. which would have been something, um, rather than doing just that, he instead is, again, going to take the money and go to Cabo. And that really does seem to be, you know, kind of kind of the interesting part about the American dream is that what it does for us is it's never enough. It's never satisfied. No one no one wants to be right where they are now. Mm. And um, this is a two edged sword because, yes, that is sort of the roots of greed and this sort of dog eat dog kind of thing that might happen. But it's also um, the other side of it is. being satisfied where you are is not necessarily a noble thing to want more to to improve you know neither is inherently like more morally superior yeah yeah and it's it's funny i forget what bridget fonda's character's name is uh sarah Mm -hmm. sarah kind of gets after him of like do you think i'm going to be happy like do you think you're going to be happy like consider it for a second are you happy right now with knowing that we have an escape hatch like it is it is all framed in this i was until i thought i couldn't get out yeah exactly yeah so it's it's interesting how Again, I like that the the movie frames it that way is like you might think one way you might like have this idea of who you are and and your satisfaction with your life. But if you see the winning lottery ticket sitting right there, that really changes everything, Mm -hmm. really changes your perspective on on your own life in, in a way that like for Sarah is like unraveling. Yeah. Right. She's she's the one that's like, OK, maybe we can just like escape to South America, you know, when, when it comes time to finally burn the money. And I guess we can go ahead and talk We're about that. We're on spore territory. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned like, could any could Paxton and Sarah have gotten away with it if they were the only ones that knew? Well, the FBI had already, you know, they, the they, if they hadn't, if they had, oh, if they had been the only ones to ever find it. Bill Gary Cole never comes to town uh, because somebody heard about the the plane or if he does come to town. He has nobody Carl there to doesn't ask know to ask yeah, about them. Carl doesn't know to ask. Carl gets murdered, and the guy gets his five hundred thousand dollars. And then all we know is the the chief of police has been murdered. Nobody's sure why until mm-hmm. the FBI maybe shows up and tells them. You know, so the all of this to say, there's a chain of events where Sarah and um, Bill Paxton, uh, Bill Hank, Hank. There we go. Uh, where Sarah and Hank start spending this money and uh, have the FBI at their door. Yeah, yeah. because the 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 because of the marked bills yeah, and they never yeah. learned about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that is what ultimately befalls the money. If you decided to not do a rewatch, I had forgotten a lot of the plot of this film. I had to. Yeah, Dustin, you talked about how plotty it is. Like it's easy to like kind of lose a lot of the the beats of this movie uh, between watches, which is fun. It makes it makes rewatch really exciting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
but again, when they finally learn that the money's marked, uh, he's just like, well, there's no way. We have to burn it now. Right. And uh, Sarah's just looking for any alternative option. And it is just like, there really isn't one. No, you don't have a choice. If you spend this money, you will get caught. Yeah, there's a one in 10 chance every time you use one of these dollar bills that the FBI is going to find you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, there is no getaway with this money. It is inherently cursed. It cannot be used. It is irradiated. Uh, do not touch. Bad for consumption. Yeah. Uh, and that that's sort of, I think, the interesting thing about the idea of, of the wanting more that you just kind of talked about, right? Like, wh- whether wanting more or being happy, whether one is noble and one is ignoble, th- the wanting, like, is inherently cursed in some way. Even even if it's not unnoble, there is something like, the, the greed is, like, damning in some capacity it's interesting i don't know i'm trying to just get a handle on the film's morality i guess because it is sort of cold and dispassionate right and that cohen and you know again we'll be talking about what's a cohen-esque theme throughout this i think that's one of their kind of touchstones is sort of this cold dispassionate god that oversees the events of the film uh that is their camera and Mm -hmm. i think Raimi's definitely doing that here so i guess that's that's what i'm sort of trying to puzzle out right now do we feel like there's a handle because i think you're right i don't think the film says being happy with your station or wanting more is like, I don't know that it says inherently is, good or bad. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, it, it does. W- damn by great. what means, you know, yeah. the ends may it's, uh, you know, the mm-hmm. ends and the means have to be congruent in mm-hmm. terms of their morality. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he gets an out, right? We get, he gets two moments where th- nobody's dead. The mm-hmm. farmer has survived. Mm-hmm. And Jacob says, you know, before he kill, and even after he's already made his choice to kill the farmer, or assist Jacob in killing a farmer. Jacob's like, well, this is it. This is bad. Now now the money is cursed. Mm-hmm. Now right. we have to turn ourselves in. Right. And and Hank says no. And I think you're right. I think it's that, like, the somebody else's life is worth less than me advancing my station. Mm-hmm. I think that's when that, that is crossed. That is when, like, the film descends into, like, a moral judgment on its characters and right. says, no, you, you have now unleashed the Pandora's box and that now is when it's really upon you. And everything you do from this point forward will be cursed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do think we need to talk a bit about just the idea of randomness in this film because mm. none of this happens. Um, the, the initial finding nor the death of the farmer, the first murder without what, the Fox, without the Fox yep. in the hen house. Yeah. Which is just so random, which itself is, uh, uh, to quote Parasite, very metaphorical. <laughs> is it not? <laughs> Isn't it? Isn't it just? There is a fox in the hen house. Multiple times in the film, mm-hmm. both literally and figuratively, there are foxes in hen houses. And I, I do think that this is part of the sort of general worldview in noir, is that you don't know you don't know who anybody is until, I mean, you can, you can only know how they act. And they may act differently at any given time. Without given the opportunity, you never see any of this kind of stuff out of Billy Bob Thornton or out of Bill Paxton. And at another moment, just simply thinking a, a second longer or a second different, having a, a different idea at the at the instant of decision, the entire story goes a different direction, mm-hmm. right? And so there's a there's a real sense of. Um, that morality is itself kind of fluid when it comes to individuals, like this idea that there, there is no knowing a person's goodness. There's simply knowing what they did. Mm-hmm. And 
without that kind of you know knowledge or without those kind of responses you you, you don't know if a guy is brave or cowardly you don't know if they're noble or 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 stingy um there's a there's an episode of star trek um d space nine um where the almost exactly this thing happens with a, a younger character who's sort of faced one of these wars and in one instance in the battle he um they're getting basically um shelled and he runs away and leaves a friend because they got separated. He just simply just runs away. It's just super, super cowardly. Doesn't get caught, but that's what happens because of his fear. It was what motivated him to do that. In a later scene in the same episode, the bad guys are coming and there's nothing that can be done. And he stays and holds the line and basically shoots down the roof and stops the baddies from coming. Mm. He does it also because he's terrified. Mm. But one in one situation, and he was seen in the second situation, he's a hero mm-hmm. and super courageous. Mm. And, you know, he writes this little piece about it and talks about how the, the line between courage and bravery or courage and, and cowardice is very, very fine because mm-hmm. I did both of those things because I was terrified. I, I forget which emo band it was in the aughts that had the, the difference between suicide and martyrdom as press coverage. Yeah, 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 I, yeah, yeah. I, think, I think it's Panic at the Disco. I can't remember who that, it was. That, that, that's that's uh, a good line. Yeah, right. Yeah, there's something there. Um, but yeah, the, the the idea of the cowardice and 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 witnesses is mm-hmm. very very interesting. Yeah, um, because that's sort of what Hank walks away looking like is the hero who saved you know saved himself, almost saved the sheriff and his brother, but was too slow. Mm-hmm. Right, like he's he kind of gets to walk away, not necessarily heroic, but at the very least as a a noble survivor of some sort. Yeah. When in reality, he knows that things are much more dire than right. that. Right. Yeah. As far has... as like the coverage goes. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Cause I mean, everyone will think, wow, you, well, at least you got the guy. Yeah. You, you got know. the bad guy. Good for you. Well, there, there he is with his charred 4 million in his mm-hmm. fireplace, uh, with, uh, Sarah over in the corner, inconsolable. Right. And they have to go on and live the rest of their lives with each other, which yeah. is what Jacob says is like, I can't. I can't go on knowing what we've done for this money. Which is the other sort of major kind of crime theme slash noir slash just mystery thrillers in general. This idea of the continued sort of hanging on of guilt mm-hmm. uh, that that clearly mm-hmm. this movie is, is yeah. dealing with directly in the final scene, where it seems that Bill Paxton is the kind of man who can set aside what he has done and go about the rest of his life. I mean, I wonder at this a little bit. I, I wonder at the sequel and uh, what might be going on. Yeah. Bridget Fonda and him and, you know, as there's going to be a rift He's taking now. heavily to the bottle. Yeah. Right, yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you have to assume something like that. But um, clearly, um, Jacob, played by Billy Bob Thornton, cannot, it's like, no, I don't want to live with this. I don't, I don't, I don't want to continue with this. I don't want to continue functioning after these things took place. And so that, that sort of different kinds of psychology it almost is sort of investigating here a little bit. That sure. there, there, there's a psychology in which one can go, well, nothing I can do about that, right? Which is a way to look yeah. at the past and let's keep moving forward. And then there's another way. It's like, no, I, I will never, ever be able to not look back. This is sort of, you touch on something that I think is kind of interesting. While basically everybody but Hank and Jacob is pretty thinly sketched, mm-hmm. we do at the very least see, and you know, this could be, you know, really good fodder for Arthur's screenwriting course. Like we see character impacting story and plot in like really serious ways right like when becky ann baker lou's wife shows up like she is motivated by lou's uh chronic unemployment his chronic alcoholism like 
she inserts herself into this situation and, and bur- turns the temperature up on everything and like without yeah. knowing what's what, happening. Although we do get some illusion when she really re-enters th- that, the she situation, knows. that she knows about the money. Well, I mean, there's this, they have a scene where they're driving or a line of dialogue as they're driving away and they drop him off. Like, oh, he's going to tell her that guy can't keep a secret. Yeah. And so we, I, I think the movie is match cut to him telling yeah. Sarah. But, but, right. but it's not. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a little while later till that's it's it, it sort of revealed that she already knows. Mm-hmm. And I think the movie wants us to assume that. That's it. She that's already it. knew. They yeah. were right. They, yeah. were, they were correct that yeah. he yeah. was going to tell her. But anyway, uh, but she doesn't know that the whole reason they're there is to get blackmail material on Lou. And right. Of course, Lou doesn't know that that's why they're there. And Lou thinks maybe now I can be friends with Hank, who I find really annoying. But maybe we can bond and he can give me some of this money that I'm desperate for because somebody's going to break my legs. My wife's going to leave me like Lou needs the money bad. Yeah. Of all of the three of them, he is the one in the the most dire financial straits. And uh is unfortunately the biggest dipshit of the three of them too. Sure. And it gets him yeah. in an awful lot of trouble. Um, Man, Billy Bob Thornton's scene there. His uh, about how, the girl who got paid to date him or whatever. No, no, no. That, well, that's later. No, him his, his, wrestling oh. with the grief of having to betray his friend. Yes. Right. Yeah, and, and, he's so and, good. And, that and the scene. cleverness by which he's able to get the recorded confession. Because well, yeah. Hank thinks he's lost Jake. Yeah, he's yep. get, yeah, he's a, get, and and this, double heel turn. It's kind of maybe thing. the best moment of performance for both. Well, no, I'm gonna go ahead and say Jacobs or Billy Bob's big moment is in the car. But like yeah. watching. Paxton like kind of kind of subtly react to like trying to figure out what Jacob's game is. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. It's like maybe one of the I mean that whole sequence from like them getting Man. to the house to like the cops showing up is holy shit. It's just like edge of your seat, white knuckle. Like it's really the movie at its most propulsive. Uh, really thrilling stuff. But again, like all of that is rooted in character, which I think is really cool. Well, it, it's that it, again. I'm gonna keep saying these noir things, but yeah. I, I'm going to say it. One of the great things about like the Big Sleep and uh, some of these other um, Marlowe uh, books from Chandler is that you you sort of have this moment where you know what someone else is doing, or at least what the detective thinks they're doing, and mm. you know what the detective is thinking, but you're not quite sure what mm-hmm. one other party actually is doing, and so. It, it, you're sort of stuck in this moment just trying to figure out, well, what is the real motivation? What is the real motivation? And almost always in these cases, it turns out to be something other than what you expected. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, you know, the minute when um, Jacob starts laying into Hank about, you know, he, listen, how he drinks, you know, it's like he's tasting, you know, a wine tasting or whatever. What is, what is sissy pants or whatever? You know, this thing he's yeah. doing to set him up, to set him up to go about this false confession is... I mean, you know, you talk about emotional intelligence being really high. He's he's so clever. Yes. Mm-hmm. He's so... And nobody sees it. And that's like yeah. the, the central tragedy of Jacob as a character. Yeah. He's so much smarter than even his like his brother and closest friend give him credit for. Yeah. I mean, it, it's the Columbo move, right? Yeah. You, you, yeah. you sort of... I mean, Columbo's different insofar as it, it's totally an act the whole time. And it doesn't mm-hmm. seem to be that kind of guile in Jacob. Correct. But uh, he is capable of guile. Yeah. When when called upon. Well, he's observant. He is observant, <laughs> man. He can make some observation. He also, I, I don't know if there's any here or there, but the line of his I thought was really interesting. You know, him and Paxson are kind of talking about the money and Paxson invokes like what their dad would want and he cuts him off. He's like, that's fucked up. Don't, you don't know what dad would want. Yeah. yeah. Don't do that. And it is just another moment of Jacob's like really quiet, like profound intelligence. Mm. And it's just like, dude, don't, Come on. Well, even when he rebukes him, it's not like a slap you in the face. Yeah, it's it, gentle. It, it's, 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 it's a gentle. It's like, man. Why would you say that? Yeah, it's like, it's like yeah, it feels like it's just a little disappointed I, in exactly. him. Exactly. Like, I thought better of you <clears throat> yeah. that, that you would not think to invoke that. And again, like, 
the mythical father who isn't there in this film kind of representing uncle Sam or something, right? This just, mm-hmm. this idea of what, what would dad want kind of hanging over the film just because it is what opens the narration of the film is this pursuit of what my father said was the, the way to be happy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. It's just, there's, there's a lot of there there, but I don't know that we can unpack it today. I just yeah. think I find it very interesting. So I'm going to say content warning. Now we're going to talk a little bit about the end of the movie, which involves um, significant, well, I, suicide by proxy, I guess you might say just suicidal idea. And yeah, suicide by proxy. Yeah, yeah. So um, the, it goes full of mice and men. It, it really does. I mean, the, oh my gosh, yes, yes, right, yes. That is that's exactly where it goes. Um, but <laughs> sorry to spoil of mice and men. I'm aware. If, if anybody yeah. hasn't but read it, <laughs> if, if Lenny had asked him to do it, yeah, you know, I mean, that's that's the only mm. difference is in that last scene after again, uh, Gordon Cole's dead, um, Carl's dead, Carl the cop, who's an actor whose name I is forget who that is. He's been in a bunch of stuff. Yeah, he's in a bunch of stuff. He's got a great face. Chelsea Ross. Chelsea Ross. Thank you for your service, sir. Um, <laughs> we salute you. <laughs> we do salute you. Um, I do. I like. I think he's a great character. He's great. Um, but after the sort of the the body count has reached its maximum, basically, mm-hmm. and uh, and Hank's not wrong. They're probably home, you know, at this point. But he's just like, there are all of these dead bodies on this. I don't want to live with this. And yeah, Jacob can't live with it. Jacob no. can't. Yeah. Because yeah. of that emotional intelligence we've been hitting. Yeah, he's like, such, yeah. Too... And we've seen him being, I mean, he's, he's gotten drunk. He's been in the bar and by himself. Like, we've seen him being detached from the situation. Yeah. And he's just like, okay, you, I know this is what you want. And I will lay down my life for you to have your dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I mean, his face when he shows up, because um, he's like, I didn't think you were coming. Because I talked to Sarah. Mm-hmm. Like that. <sighs> such a good setup. It's really great. Uh, that line is just everything. It says It says it all. Yeah. yeah. I, I talked to Sarah. Yeah. And uh, and which is, I mean, the discovery is that the uh, FBI agent is not an FBI agent. It's mm-hmm. actually one of the uh, yeah. kidnappers who's come back to find his money and tends to kill them all. People go looking for four million dollars. You know, yep. they, they will go looking for it. Yeah, that is something one must account for. Um, but yeah, I, I, and I and I think one of the things that this movie does really well, you know, that that great moment of just again, I think it is an emotional intelligence uh, is that. I, I think there is a level of sociopathy that we should, you know... In Hank? In Hank, yeah. yeah. for sure. And, and I think we should think about sociopathy and a sociopathy, or however you say that, in sort I, of... I a think spe- it's that, that way, sociopathy. Yeah. In, in, in kind of a spectrum. I've never seen the... I've never heard the word said out loud. I've only ever read it. Yeah. Um, where there are, you know, again, you know, you, you're Chuck Mansons and those kind of cats who don't care CEOs. at all. CEOs. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anybody who worked at Goldman Sachs. Um, and then there's this other, there's these degradations where a person can compartmentalize sections or parts of their lives. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's not a necessarily a pathology at this point. It, it, it can be a really helpful coping mechanism. It can be very, very kind of useful for, you know, going about and dealing with life. Um, you know, we, we, we do things we're ashamed of. Well, we, I mean, we live in an era of the side hustle, right? Yeah. yeah. There's a lot, plenty of people have compartmentalized their lives for all kinds of like perfectly valid mm-hmm. reasons. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, um, the thing that is interesting about Jacob is he's in, he's incapable of doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, he cannot be anything other than fully what he is at all times. He cannot mm-hmm. just simply say, you know, moving on, uh, what's next. He just, he can't do that. And uh, that's that's sort of what is his undoing. And I think there is a there's a virtue to that. I think that the movie mm-hmm. wants us to see that there for sure. You know, there there's a virtue to that. Now, again, I'm not going to say that um, 
I'm not trying to excuse anything that Bill Pax's character is doing. Uh, but I am saying that there is a sense in which that one can be somewhat compartmentalized, where one can move on from one's life, where one can leave prison, mm-hmm. you know, after sure. having, you know, and, and not have to dwell with, I will always be the person who did this terrible thing at mm-hmm. this point in my life. Um, people do get better, too. People can change, you know, and I believe in all those kinds of things, you know, that are, I think it's really important. And there is a sort of required level of compartmentalization for reform to happen in a sure. person. But this is not really talking about that. No, um, because no, talk- this isn't talking about Hank compartmentalizing so he can carry on from a misdeed that he wants to correct. Right. right? This is about him carrying on from multiple homicides, uh, accessory or primary. That he seeks to, uh, again, get away with without any retribution. Yeah. 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 And that is a very different kind of animal there. Yeah. And uh, Jacob just can't do it, you know. And, and I think his authenticity is there you know sort of human authenticity is the thing that we've lost in the american dream maybe that's what it's saying about the american dream yeah that might be it i like that so uh just i I find that to be really kind of fascinating because the only way to pursue it is to compartmentalize yeah is to to cast off what is you know maybe truly you in some way uh and again i I like your your to your point that like there's no inherently bad thing about compartmentalizing Mm -hmm. i think that's a good to to highlight but you're right though that i mean jacob is held up as the the moral center of the film multiple times Mm -hmm. well let's maybe start to land the plane here circle it in um (laughs) let's get to the conceit of uh this this marathon a a series of coincidences Mm -hmm. uh appropriately named for a simple plan but also uh the the direction of the coen brothers and their sort of indelible mark on this modern cinema i think this movie comes out 14 years after Blood Simple. They're close friends with Sam Raimi. Mm -hmm. We've talked a bit about the kind of cold, uh, omnipotent God who watches this world. We've talked about randomness, a big part of their design usually. Uh, We've talked about the non-professional element of the noir here. What else are we kind of seeing as we kind of start to think about this of the Coens here at work? Uh, between them and and Raimi I think that kind of where does the Cohen end and the Raimi begin I love you bringing that up like I think one that I thought about a lot is like this sort of inherent irony right a simple plan and yep. a, right there in the title we have yep. this sort of this this cheeky title that's yeah. like no 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 uh, so yeah there, there is always and you know played up for laughs played for you know tragedy it, it can come in a lot of flavors, but I think that's like a key component of a Cohen story is like sort of this, this dramatic irony that really is. Yeah, I mean, that, the characters. that's kind of the big part of like yeah. burn after reading. Right? Yes. Yes. And well, I, you mentioned the non-professional thing, but I think there's another, there's another grade to it or another flavor that's added to it for the Coens because, um, it's not only, um, non-professional, there's also, um, staggering incompetence that has to be yeah, sort of combined sure. with, because, yeah. you know, uh, we watched Gone together, the Amanda Seyfried yeah. um, uh, killer uh, mystery kind of movie. Yeah. And she is um, not a professional and she is thoroughly competent throughout. Yeah. She's brilliant and she knows how to fight. She can interrogate. Yeah. And, and just really, really smart, even though she's not a pro. And there's a lot of noir kind of, or mystery kind of things that do that kind of stuff. But the difference is in the Cohen's world is these non-professionals are absolute. It, it is the three stooges, mm-hmm. you know, is the, yeah. the Marx brothers are, are, are going to carry out this kind of thing. And of course, disaster follows everywhere they go. Yeah. And so, um, also, we see a rural setting, right? I mean, sure. that's a big kind of thing. We think about rural Texas or the rural Midwest. And well, I mean, Fargo. No Country for Old Men is a movie I didn't mention because I didn't want to invoke too much, you know, Cohen stuff right yeah. directly in this thing. But I think yeah, that's that's the, uh, one of those uber examples of these um uh, rural dwarves. I mean, they are both 
lost money, cursed money films. Yeah, they are. Yeah. 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 And there's, you know, William H. Macy is selling cars somewhere up the road. Right. Yeah, exactly. Fargo, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I didn't even think about mentioning Fargo, the show and movie in my list. I mean, the show, obviously, with Billy Bob later. Yeah. Yeah. The show does a couple of different kinds of cursed treasure in its yeah. run. Uh, and then, of course, the mo- the treasure from the movie shows up within the TV show's first season, I think. What platform is um, Fargo on? Hulu. Hulu. Okay. Yeah, it's, an FX it's an FX series. show. Okay. Yeah. There's three seasons, that. right? Or four? Four. Because the fourth one's uh, the uh, like 50s Kansas City one with Chris Rock. Yeah, and, that's right. Um, mm. Um, Hem, Hem, not, no, Hamish Patel. No, different guy. I'm white guy. God, I can't think of his name. Because the first like season I've seen, but that kind of plays close to the movie, right? Isn't it kind of it's, a yeah? Ver- Oliver take Platt. On. Oliver Platt plays like a grocery store entrepreneur who like started his empire with the money that went missing in Fargo. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So he's like a side character in the first season, and yeah, the money huh. from the first movie shows up. Huh. Without like ever referencing really any like it's just money he found. Sure, it, doesn't it, really it stands alone pretty well. Yeah, because yeah. it's buried by the stake at the yeah, buried yeah, by the, the snow little fence, snow yeah. scraper. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, those are great examples. Um, like that that whole series and that that film are so much like in, entwined with this film. I feel like just because it is all about like the pursuit of money, money that you shouldn't have in the first place and shouldn't have come to you in the first place. And again, I, it's, it makes sense that they were attracted to Cormac McCarthy's no country for old men mm-hmm. because it is, you know, tied up in a lot of their, their kind of their classic themes. And it's like a much more serious take on the material than they would maybe organically come up with. Yeah. Uh, but it, I mean, still very, you know, comedic. And it's also, I, I, I do think Josh Brolin's character is maybe a little more, Competent, but yeah. he's still really out of his element when you compare him to uh, Anton Chigurh. Yeah. Well, he's really well planned. He just forgets how many players are on. He does. I mean, that's the thing is his his knowledge is limited, limited. from the beginning. Yeah. Well, it's real Dunning and Kruger effect stuff, right? He's like base competencies as a veteran and a, like mm. you know a combat yeah. veteran. So he has like some ability to track and like evade tracking and take and, cover, you know, take and, cover yeah. and be in a firefight and like know somebody's watching him. So he's got sort of these like these this innate skill set that makes him think, okay, well I can I can pull this off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he as you said, he just doesn't realize how in over his head he is. And yeah. that's sort of the same thing we find here in a simple plan is everybody thinks it's gonna go so simple because they're just they don't realize like the, the factors they don't realize that the fbi is numbered a tenth of the bills they don't realize that gary cole is coming looking for this money like there's there's so many they don't realize the farmer is looking for the fox that keeps killing his chickens like there's yeah. just too many too many variables uh and, and i think that maybe that is a key component we'll find throughout this mini series is the surprise variable yeah i think is something we'll we'll keep bumping up against as we we unpack this series absolutely so shell for trash let's, go, instead, yeah, right? let's, let's render a verdict then shall we what do you say arthur shell for trash what do you say and elser instead i, I, did, it, it I did it i did wow. it man well i guess we've already said our else yeah. it's been a long time since we've yeah. elser instead sorry right, go what yeah go listen to our syllabus because there's all of our our in, else's uh yeah. no instead's for me i think this is a, a shelfable film it's just for the, 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 the i mean billy bob is worth the price of admission on this and that that character i think is so well developed and designed and uh that coupled with the ending of this is just knock it out of the park and so uh yeah shelfable for me yeah what do you say i also say shelfable it makes sense you know uh academy was right to nominate billy bob for this performance and i think they're right to nominate the screenplay you know even though it was the author adapting his own novel i think it's a, a really crispy screen screenplay so yeah it's a strong film and really worth remembering and revisiting yeah just shy of a five-star movie for me so i'm also shelving it i think it's definitely worth buying yeah, I like it a lot. And it's only available currently on the Hoopla. Um, I guess it's available for rent and that yeah, kind of stuff. I think and, so. Yeah, but I, as far I, as like the closest one could get for already having paid a fee or free, 
yeah, that hoopla is the big choice there. Yeah, you for can that. watch it with ads on Pluto. Oh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you can that. check it out from your library on through hoopla. You can find it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's out there. I would like to see a crisper print of it. I did notice, yeah, we you know, were, that, yeah. that 720 that I'm sure hoopla does. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I well, would like to see it. Looked well, it from a scan of the film print. It looked yeah, like or something. Yeah it, looked, yeah, it looked pretty. Yeah, muddy. It's a VHS print. I'd like a little. <laughs> I don't think it'd be V. Well, it could have been in '98. They were still. Were they still doing VHS in '98? Yes. Yeah, I guess they were. Yeah. I mean, I'd made the transition by that point, I think. But I didn't see my first DVD until 2000. Whoa. So maybe. Yeah. I mean, it was right then that would, the transition happened. So I have to look back at my catalog. I think. Yeah, I think VHS was still the proficient in '98, mm, yeah. unless you had money. Oh yeah, yeah, and I did not. Mister Moneybags. Well, I. <laughs> I had a um, I had an absent father who felt a lot of guilt. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know what that's like. Um, well, uh, if you have absent fathers and have a lot of guilt, uh, you can tell Dalton. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a guy you can talk to about that sort of thing. Not me. I'm emotionally closed off. Uh, you know, catch me on a good day. I'm not uh, good. Trash genrecast at gmail.com for your thoughts on a simple plan or your troubled relationship with your daddy. Uh, good trash genrecast. None of us are authorized or qualified to give you any advice no just a reminder Correct. Uh, but good trash genre cast at gmail.com if you feel like offloading <laughs> good trash genre cast at gmail.com we're here and we're listening uh you can find us on socials who who cares about posting uh we're at good trash media we don't really i mean there's only so many places to post and some of them are pretty bad uh these days so we're at good trash media if you want to find us but more importantly uh, you can go to patreon.com forward slash gtm and um find out how to keep this show alive and find out what's in it for you that could be something like arthur uh sending you a movie of his picking based on a survey he'll have you fill out that could be you picking a movie for us to talk about here on the show uh, all kinds of fun bonus content over on the patreon uh, a pretty hefty backlog of stuff that we've made over there uh, again that's all all that info is available at patreon.com forward slash gtm um i don't know if you rate review subscribe you've listened to a podcast before um however you put this in your ears i know there's a million pod catchers out there there's only the two that i know about uh, now that stitcher's dead but there's all I, somebody was just telling me about one and i looked up we're on there um oh yeah potable or there's good pods potable pod overcast i mean there's yeah throw a rock somehow our rss feed ends up on all of them yeah though. i don't know you yeah. can do a google search and we'll just pop up on random podcast websites i don't so, know thanks podbean yeah i guess so however yeah. you put this in your ears whether it's on a catcher or directly from podbean uh yeah give us a rating a review uh just you know help help us stay out in people's algorithms help us become the 174th most listened to film podcast in finland yes uh 175 looking nice right now and hello again friends in finland hello hello friends in finland uh we appreciate the support um next week we continue our series of coincidences i'm wondering what arthur has in store for us because there are five weeks this month so dustin has a host pick and we'll see if he chooses to stay on theme i bet he will uh, but i'm wondering what arthur's got queued up three more picks from art uh what does the production schedule hold for us well next week the influence of the cohen brothers takes us international as we go to china to take a look at zheng yimu's a woman a gun and a noodle shop. Yes. Cool. Oh yeah, this is gonna be good. Cool. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah, Yang. You know this one? I, I know the director really well. Okay. Yeah, I am from the director of uh, the House of the Flying Daggers oh, okay. and Hero. And Hero. Oh shit. Okay. Yeah, cool. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Do you know he did a Cohen esque sort of thing. That's that'll be fun. Oh, is this uh, mainland or Hong uh, Kong or do you know Taiwan? Oh, it's Taiwan. Okay. I think. 
We'll we'll find out before next week. Works in both places, so I don't know. Um, Okay, there you go. You keep watching. We'll keep talking. We'll see you all next time. I'm not sure.